If you have your Bibles with you, would you take them out and turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where Paul lists for us what is hopefully becoming familiar to us, the fruit of the Spirit. He gives us nine of them. And today is our second-to-last sermon in this sort of mini-series where we've been walking through these fruit of the Spirit. And our question has been trying to understand what the life looks like that Paul paints, this picture of a godly man that he paints for us. This is a godly life. This is a blessed life, a life that is characterized by these fruit of the Spirit. So the challenge for us in looking over these fruit of the Spirit and considering these it's a great challenge for us to take whatever image is in our mind of what a successful, godly person looks like. And oftentimes, we'd have to admit that it's not necessarily characterized by these nine virtues. But if it's not, we need to put that aside and say that this is what the Scripture tells us a, a godly life looks like. This is what the Scriptures tell us a successful Christian life looks like. If we want to live a life that's pleasing to God, that that he will smile upon him. He'll look and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is the description of that life that we want to live. And so let me read. And it's short, but I'll still ask, if you're able, will you join me in standing for the reading of God's word this morning? I'm just going to read verses 22 and 23 today. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's pray one more time. Father, this is your word which is given to us to make us wise unto salvation, to make us humble before your throne, to make us loving towards you, towards one another, and towards all those who are still far from God, who don't yet know Christ. Lord, we pray that you will give your spirit now to be among us, to open the eyes of our hearts, to soften them before you, that we may humble ourselves and receive this word as it is the word of God for our blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, there's a classic story that most of us are familiar with that concerns a certain sporting event arranged between a tortoise and a hare. We know the story well. There's two characters, the tortoise and the hare, and they engage in a race. And of course, at the beginning of the story, we all think we know the outcome of this race. You have a hare who is fast, who is limber, and and covers lots of ground with each hop. And then on the other side, you have a tortoise, just a lumbering, slow little tortoise who moves at the tortoise's pace. And so we we know at the beginning exactly how this is going to go out because we think we have an idea in our mind of, of what success means when it comes to a race. In the world of racing, success equals being fast. And so we have we know this is not even going to be a race. The hare is going to win, but they start, and we know how it goes. The hare, of course, he takes off, and he goes so fast right at the beginning, and he gains this huge lead, And eventually he stops, and he realizes that he has a huge lead. He doesn't need to hurry, so he might as well just take a nap. And while he's taking a nap, the tortoise is plodding along, slow and steady as he goes, and he goes right on past that hare and right on to the finish line, and he wins the race because the hare was being silly and had stopped for a nap. Now, 
this, believe it or not, is what I think of when I think of the fruit of faithfulness. That, that we have an idea in our minds so often of what a successful Christian life ought to look like, and, and perhaps it's filled with all sorts of images of, of someone who's going very fast and who has these spectacular flashes of brilliance and does these things, but it's the life of the hair, that, that you have certain times in life where you're just doing all sorts of things, you're doing these things that are very visible to the world, maybe mission trips, maybe all-night prayer vigils. Maybe you just sit down and you read Leviticus all in one sitting, and these are these great leaps and bounds. But on the other hand, we have this picture of a tortoise. There's nothing flashy about a tortoise. There's nothing spectacular except that he goes slow, and he goes steady, and he doesn't stop, and he's just continually going and going and going. He is faithfully walking the whole time. And perhaps it seems mundane, perhaps it doesn't seem extraordinary or exciting to us, but this is a picture of the life of faithfulness that God desires. Not a a life of spectacular obediences here and there punctuated by these times of rest, but just a plodding along, regular, everyday, mundane faithfulness. Because for many of us, when we think of success, we think of speed. When God thinks of success, he thinks of faithfulness. When God thinks of success, he thinks of faithfulness. Reminds me of the title of a book Eugene Peterson wrote a while ago, and it was called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. What a picture of faithfulness. It's just a simple, a long obedience all in the same direction. And perhaps it's not eye-catching, but it's faithful. It's steady. it's, It's ongoing. And so we have a picture of God then is the God of the mundane faithfulness. God is a God over all of our lives. And and so it's just as possible to live a faithful Christian life no matter where you are in life. We we don't simply look to those who are engaged in full-time Christian service. We don't simply look to missionaries, but we look to anyone who's a believer in Christ, whether that person is a a stay-at-home parent, whether whether they're a banker, whether they're a lawyer, whether they're a doctor, whether they're a school teacher, whether they're currently working a, a job that they don't enjoy and they wish they were doing something else, no matter what the situation, what is desired, this fruit of faithfulness, is simply a slow, melodic, slow and steady bit of faithfulness in the little things. Faithfulness to God. And so I want to try to describe this for us in two points. First, to describe the fruit of faithfulness, and second, the fight for faithfulness. The fruit of faithfulness, what does it look like? And then the fight for faithfulness. So let me try to describe what the fruit of faithfulness might look like according to the Bible. What does the fruit of faithfulness look like? And I'll make a a couple things about what we are faithful to, a couple suggestions. First, we're faithful to the gospel. First of all, faithfulness, this fruit of faithfulness, means that we will be faithful to the gospel, faithful to the teaching of the scriptures. Remember the context here in the book of Galatians. Paul's writing, he's writing this book to the church in Galatia, if you remember the problem, the reason that he is writing to them is because he's writing to a church that, that has forgotten the gospel. Even the very basics of the gospel, the, the truth that we are not saved by our performance, by our ability to please God, by our good works, but we're saved simply by faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's gospel 101. That should be the first thing that we learn. And yet this church in Galatia has forgotten that. They've forgotten the basics of the gospel. They were saved by grace through faith. 
It's the most central thing there is in the scriptures, and yet it has been forgotten and it's been denied. And so we need to, first of all, take this under advisement, that if that can happen to this church, well, surely we wouldn't think that we're any better than they are. If it can happen to them, we also need to be careful and need to be on our guard against this. I've heard it called gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia, this propensity that we have to simply forget the good news of the gospel that God has given to us. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. We sing it in some of our songs. We sing this line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And so we, we then sing, Lord, bind us to yourself. Keep us. We, we rely on God's faithfulness because we know that in ourselves, yes, we're prone to wander. We're a forgetful people. And so we can forget. We're so easily distracted. It seems as though human beings are just spring-loaded to be self-reliant, to rely on ourselves, not to rely on someone else, but to rely on ourselves. That's our default position. And so first, the first call to faithfulness is that we will be, as a church, that we will be faithful to the gospel. We'll be faithful to the teaching of scriptures. When I say the gospel, I want to include in that the whole teaching of the Bible, that this will be our foundation, that we'll be faithful to know the teaching of the scriptures, that we'll be faithful to obey the teaching of the scriptures, that our lives will be characterized, not necessarily by reading all of Leviticus or memorizing all of a book of the Bible in one shot, but by constantly learning, constantly knowing, constantly embracing the teaching that we find in the Bible, that there will be a consistency and a steadiness to our learning of the truths of the Bible. This means that we should be constantly engaged in reading the scriptures so that we can be faithful to the teaching. Faithfully reading them, whether it's just by ourselves, whether it's as a family, whether it's with your spouse or with your kids, any excuse you can find to read the scriptures, we are to never stop restarting this practice of reading the Bible. Never stop restarting your practice of reading the scriptures so that we can be faithful to know the gospel. In Titus 1, when Paul is outlining the requirements for an elder in the church, one of those requirements that he gives is that they must hold firm to the trustworthy word as it's taught. An elder must hold firm the trustworthy word as it's taught. That's this picture of faithfulness to the scriptures. That what they hold to is the teaching of the Bible. And he, Philippians 2, he gives the same requirement, not just for elders, but for everybody. He describes believers saying, we are those who are holding fast to the word of life, holding fast the truth of the scriptures, being faithful to what the Bible says. And being faithful to the scriptures means that no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what the shifting attitudes are around us, no matter what our culture would try to tell us about what is good and what is bad in the world, we take our standards and we take our identity only from the scriptures. We are called as a church to do something that is very countercultural, and that is to take our standards of right and wrong behavior and our standards of what's good and bad, what's light and what's darkness, only from the pages of the scriptures. And it, it just seems to me that in 2014, here in America, the standards of the Bible are under heavy attack. And there are those who will tell us that light is darkness and darkness is light and that, that something the Bible calls bad, they'll tell us it's good. And to be, the call to be faithful is first to be faithful to the Bible, to be faithful to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the teaching of the Scriptures, which is God's Word, and to admit that what God says is true is true. 
and, and to admit that his standards are more wise than ours, and they are more righteous than our standards. And so we submit ourselves to the scriptures that we might no longer, as Paul says in Ephesians, that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but that we might be grounded in the truths of the scriptures. Now let me try to encourage us in this a little bit, because I know that most of us in this room are, are young-ish. Most of us in this room are youngish, and, and for us, the real tests of our faithfulness are going to be in front of us. That, that's the reality. For many of us, the real test of the faithfulness in our lives, whether we will be faithful to the scriptures, those are yet to come. Those are yet to come in front of us. And, and so, and this is what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is not going to be just a one-time sort of big display. Faithfulness is something that's only di- uh, sort of discerned over time. If you know a person for a week, you don't know if that person is faithful or not. But if you know them for years, you begin to see, are they faithful in good times and in difficult times, in easy times and in hard times? Do they remain faithful to the teaching of the scriptures? Is there a steadiness? Is there a consistency? Faithfulness is a long-term virtue. It plays itself out, this long obedience in the same direction. It plays itself out over a a lifetime. And, And so it's a lifetime virtue, but it's something we prepare for now. It's something we prepare for now. So the question for us, who are still sort of on the front end of the trials and difficulties of life that are going to test faithfulness, the question becomes, what are we doing now to prepare ourselves to live a life of faithfulness over the next 40 years? If we can just look forward in our lives sort of to, to the end and say, if we, our goal is to be finishing well, We've made a good start. Here we are. We're learning the scriptures. We're believing in Christ. But we want to not only start well, we want to finish well. We want to remain faithful through all the times of life. What are we doing now that's going to cultivate this fruit of faithfulness so that it grows over the next 40 years? Are we committing ourselves to the faithfulness of the scriptures even now? I remember one time several years ago in seminary, I was meeting with my thesis advisor, we had sort of set up this thing where we got together each week and we were just reading through the book of Exodus together and talking about it as we went. And it, it was great for me. He was one of the more brilliant Old Testament scholars I'd met. And so we were doing this. And there was one day he said something that really stuck with me. We were reading, I, I think it was in Exodus 4. It was one of the difficult passages early in the book. And we'd spent maybe an hour or so trying to talk through what this might mean. And he said that... He said this, I remember it very well. He said, in five years, I hope to understand this passage more faithfully than I do today. In five years, I hope to understand this passage more faithfully than I do today. And that stood out to me for two reasons. First, he was dedicated to the task of growing in his knowledge of the scriptures. This was a man with a PhD with 30 years of teaching experience, and yet he remained dedicated to this task of growing in his own understanding, of realizing that there are lots of difficulties in the scriptures many things that we do not understand. But he was dedicated to the task of it, and secondly, he took the long view. When I find something I don't understand, I usually say, I hope that in five minutes I am more faithful to this task, to this text than I am today. It's, it's this microwave view of spirituality and of discipleship, where if we can't have it now, we think that it must not be worth having. And, and so it, it stood out to me that he said, I hope that in five years, but what if we said ten years? 
What if we said 20 years, I hope to be in a place in my life where I am more faithful to the teaching of scriptures, more faithful to know it thoroughly, more faithful to obey it consistently, more faithful to love it and to be continued to be dedicated to it then? What, if it, what would that look like to be committed to the long view of discipleship? To say, faithfulness is not something that we will demonstrate today. It's something we demonstrate over a long period of time. Through all the ups and downs of life, we will be faithful to the teaching of the scriptures. So we will be faithful to the gospel. Secondly, another way we can think about faithfulness is that we will be faithful with our gifts. Faithful with our gifts that God has given us. This is one of the main themes of faithfulness in the Bible, that that we are to be faithful with what God has entrusted to us. I want to read a, a, a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, and this is probably a familiar one to you, but I want to read it. It's in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, and I'll read a few of these verses. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the, the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. His master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. Now I'll stop there. But we know this parable, and so we're familiar with how it goes. Now, this is the lesson for us. He, he gives talents to his servants. And a talent here, remember, a talent is a unit of money. It's not like a skill. It's, it's money. And actually, one talent is the equivalent, according to the notes at the bottom of the Bible, of 20 years' wages. So don't feel too bad for the guy who only gets one talent. That is still a ton of money. But he gives them to them, and he gives differing amounts to them, And the question is, what have they done with it before he gets back? Have they been faithful with the talent that he has given them? Have they been faithful to use it? Have they been faithful to invest it? Or are they simply being unfaithful by letting it lie dormant while the master is gone? And this is a picture of our lives. For us to remember and to recognize that everything we have is the talent that God has given to us. It is not ours. It doesn't belong to us but that is something that is on loan from God that he has given us that we might use it, that we might invest it, that we might make the most of it for the sake of God's kingdom and that there is coming a day when there will be an accounting for the way that we have been faithful or faithless with what he has given us. 
And so it challenges us to think about the money we do have as a gift from God, something not to be owned but to be stewarded, not to use as seems best to us but to remember that it belongs to the Lord. Also with our time, to see our time as a a gift from God for our investment for the sake of the kingdom, our skills and abilities, our, our talents in the other sense, that these don't belong to us but are to be used as faithful gifts from God. And this is what we see in this parable. That the question is never about how many talents one of the servants received. The question is simply, were they faithful with the talent that they had been given? I think too, too often we have this temptation to think, ah, I've, I'm, I'm the one-talent servant. I will leave the, the work that needs to be done to the five-talent guys. Some guys just have so much skill, so much ability, so much giftedness that God seems to have given them that we just say, well, I'm just going to sit back and I will let them do the work that needs to be done. And yet that's not the point at all. The point has nothing to do with how much they were given, but whether they were faithful with what they had been given. And the guy who only had one talent, even if that seemed humble to him, the question for him was, was he faithful with it? Even if he had invested it in the bank and got interest on it, the master says that would have been better. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 about the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And it tells us spiritual gifts are given to us for the good of the church. They're not given to glorify the recipient of the gift. They're given that we might use them to serve one another, to love each other. They're given for a purpose, and that's the service of the church. When we consider the fruit of faithfulness, it challenges us to to think about a parable like this and, and simply to reassess, to ask, how are we doing? How are we doing with the talents that God has given us with what he has entrusted to us. Are we being faithful with it? Are we being faithful with it? You see, it never happens all at once that somebody slides from faithfulness into unfaithfulness. It's almost never just a one-time decision where somebody wakes up and says, you know, I am going to start living for myself. it's it's, It's little things. It's little decisions where we just slide sort of make little compromises here and there, and then one day you wake up and you have not been faithful with what the Lord has given. And so this is our opportunity then to simply ask, are we being faithful? How are we doing? Are we, can we assess our faithfulness with the gifts that God has given us? And kids, this is a good question to ask ourselves as well. You may think that, that you don't have one. Maybe you think you don't have any talents yet. You're, you're just a young person. How can you be faithful? And yet the Bible would tell us that, that children have all sorts of gifts. Maybe some of you get an allowance, and so maybe you have some money that you can use to bless others with, to be faithful with. I know you have energy. I know you have a lot of energy and you have a lot of skills. Maybe you could ask your parents for suggestions. How could you use your energy and your skills that the Lord has given you? And how can you be faithful with them? recognizing that the which is yours does not actually belong to you, but it belongs to the Lord. And we are called to be faithful with what he has given us. In a very related sense, the Bible calls us to be faithful to one another. The Bible calls us, says we have been put together in a church for, for more than just ourselves, but so that we can love one another, serve one another, be faithful to use our gifts on behalf of one another. This is especially a big theme in the book of Proverbs that talks about the faithful friend. The faithful friend is the one who speaks the truth in love, the one who always seeks your best interest, 
the one who practices righteousness and fear of the Lord, the one who is reliable. In Proverbs, the faithful friend is the reliable friend, the one you can count on, the one you can trust in good times and bad, the one who seeks your good. Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of the enemy. But it's better to be wounded by that faithful friend who who loves you and seeks your good than to receive what look like blessings from the enemy. This is the picture of faithfulness that the Bible gives us. Steady, long-term consistency to the Lord. Now let me say something about the fight for faithfulness. Because there's no doubt that, that faithfulness is a high calling. It's a difficult fruit. It's not something that anyone develops on accident. It's not something that you can just trip and fall and land in faithfulness. It's, it takes care and it takes diligence and it takes intentionality to develop the fruit and to cultivate this fruit of faithfulness. So let me say three things about how we can fight for faithfulness. First, remember that we are not saved by our faithfulness and we are not condemned for our unfaithfulness. First thing we need to remember when we talk about any fruit of the Spirit is we need to remember that in one sense, the pressure is off here. You're not going to be saved by your faithfulness and you're not going to get condemned for your lack of faithfulness. Don't despair. Don't despair that Galatians and others who live in these high-performance environments where they, they think it's all on them, that they earn God's favor by their performance, by their good deeds, by the good things that they do, they have a lot of pressure in life to do good. They would have a lot of pressure to be faithful. And they would have almost no ability to admit their mistakes, to admit when they have been unfaithful, or to repent, to use the biblical word. They have no ability to do that because they're so, uh, there's so much pressure on them. And they, they struggle very much to actually grow in faithfulness in a high-pressure environment. So first of all, the pressure's off. We're not saved by our faithfulness. You're saved by the faithfulness of Jesus. You're saved by the faithfulness of Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel for us today, that we are saved not by what we do, not by what we've done. If you look 40 years ahead and that seems daunting, or if you're looking 40 years back and you have regrets, You're not saved by that. You're saved by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ who went to the cross in order to pay the the price to receive the punishment for all of our unfaithfulness. For all of the unfaithfulness that our lives have accumulated, the punishment for all of that has been paid. Moreover, in his life, he was completely, perfectly faithful to God. He lived a life of perfect faithfulness. Even in the face of great temptation, Satan himself talking to him, He was faithful to the mission that God had given him. He was faithful to his friends. He was faithful to the scriptures. He was faithful with the gifts God gave him. He was faithful to go to the cross and to die as the savior of the world. And 2 Timothy 2 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. If we are faithless, brothers and sisters, he remains faithful to us. And that is the good news of the gospel, that it's the faithfulness of Jesus Christ that is Uh, given to us as our new record so that when God looks at us, he sees the perfect faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And moreover, in his faithfulness of going to the cross, he paid the price of all of our unfaithfulness. And then third, we look to the example of Jesus. So we're not saved by our faithfulness. Second, we're saved by the faithfulness of Jesus. But third, let us look and consider the example of Jesus in his faithfulness. What does his faithfulness look like? Uh, 
Think of Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2. Faithfulness will always be a very costly virtue. No one can be faithful without suffering. It's very costly. It'll, it will cost us perhaps respectability. It will cost us influence. Sometimes it will cost us money. Sometimes it will cost us relationships that we would rather have built, but instead we lost. Sometimes it will cause us the loss of comfort. Second Timothy also says, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. This is why faithfulness is so demanding. But Jesus sets the example for us here in Hebrews 12 too. He says, we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus was confronted with the biggest challenge to his faithfulness, as the, the shame and the scorn of the cross, it says he looked to the joy that was set before him. He looked to the joy that was set before him. And suddenly, I believe what looked at first very costly was then relativized by that vision of joy and suddenly it didn't seem as costly to him because he could look beyond the suffering and he could look beyond the difficulties of life, beyond the challenge to his faithfulness, he could look past that and see all of the joy that had been prepared for him beforehand. He endured the cross and he did not just endure it, but it says he despised the shame. He despised it. It meant nothing to him. He could look down on that shame and not consider what it cost him, but look straight beyond it with great joy, looking to the reward that was set before him. And so it is with us. A life of faithfulness over the long haul will be very costly. But this is what God calls us to, to lift our weary eyes, to look beyond the temporary costs, to look to the reward that is set before us. Look at Hebrews 11.24, if you've got your Bibles there. Talking about Moses, he says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why? Because he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward beyond the temporary discomforts and trials that it would cause him. And brothers and sisters, when we are in the presence of the one in whom we delight ourselves, when we receive all good things in the presence of Jesus Christ, we won't regret the difficulties and the burdens we had to bear in choosing to pursue faithfulness. We won't look back with great sadness on the trials of life. We will despise the shame of the trials, thinking only of the reward that is ours and the cost of faithfulness which to our eyes right now might seem very high, it might seem very great, will from that perspective look very insignificant. It will just be one of the many tears that God will be pleased to wipe away from every eye. And so we strengthen our hands as we seek the fruit of faithfulness. We strengthen our hands by looking to the reward, by looking to the joy that is set before us, by looking to Jesus Christ who calls himself our very great reward. We walk by faith, not by sight. By faith that the reward that he has promised and the joy that is coming will make every sacrifice of faithfulness worth it. That's why we seek not, not individual great heroic acts of faithfulness, but a steady, consistent, plodding life of faithfulness to the Lord in every aspect of life. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we pray that you will do a great work in us by opening our eyes and pointing us to the joy that is set before us. That you will encourage us and strengthen us in our faith through allowing us a glimpse even now of that great joy that will be ours when we're in the presence of Jesus Christ and all of the benefits and all of the blessings that he has accrued are fully to be enjoyed by us. Lord, we pray that that vision and that vision will, alone will strengthen us and sustain us and guide us as we seek to walk the path of faithfulness, sometimes even difficult faithfulness to your word. Father, for Jesus' sake and in his name we pray. Amen.